Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Guys, we are finishing up the sermon series on the 12, which as I told you last week is actually the 14. And we didn't even talk about all of them. We're talking about Paul twice. Uh, but we've been looking at those that Jesus designated His apostles. Uh, their lives and what we can learn from them. And I can tell you confidently, assuredly, that this is the last lesson in the series. I said that three or four weeks ago and I was wrong. Anyway, uh, next week of Bring Your Neighbor Day and Mike Denius is going to be beginning a new series and I should know exactly what the title is and I believe it's about talking about connection. Connect Four. Yeah, I knew it was a cute name. Uh, I know it has to do with connection because in two weeks I'll be speaking about connecting with God. And I'm pretty excited about that one. But anyway, guys, today we are finishing up looking at the life of Paul. We started that last week. Uh, we talked about that Paul was a life lived on purpose. And we talked about four things, and I'll briefly go through them. Uh, if you weren't here, I, I do encourage you. I thought the lesson was very good. Tim actually gave me the main points, uh, so he gets the credit. I just presented it. Uh, but last week we talked about that I can live my life on purpose when I, number one, understand and acknowledge my rebellion. And we looked at how the Apostle Paul saw his former life as a persecutor and murderer of Christians for what it was. And he described himself as the worst of sinners. And he didn't deserve to be an apostle. So he, he, he recognized, he understood his rebellion and acknowledged it. The second thing we talked about is how we, is if I want to live a life of purpose, I need to honor God by identifying as his chosen instrument. And you see guys, his chosen instrument, that's a phrase that Paul heard initially when he was first converted to, to follow Jesus, first became a believer in Jesus. There was a man named Ananias who was sent to him who told him that he was God's chosen instrument. And that's how he lived the rest of his life, as this chosen instrument specifically to the non-Jewish people in the world. Okay? And we talked about how uh, we need to identify ourselves. We need to check and see how we identify ourselves. Okay? And I'm not talking about the way the world talks about that word identify. Okay? We're going to take that word back and recognize that we all have an identity uh, of how we see ourselves. We may see ourselves through our career. We may see ourselves through our hobbies. We may see ourselves through our accomplishments. We may have this identity that we want to project onto other people. This is who we are. But we need to identify. If you're going to live your life for a purpose, we need to be like Paul, the Apostle Paul, and identify as a chosen instrument of God to be his representative in the circumstances that we find ourselves. Number three, you know, I live my life on purpose when I have the right motivation. Okay? When we recognize that we're, that we've been in rebellion to God, when we recognize that we don't deserve what we have, we recognize that we, God has chosen us to do a specific task, we're motivated. The fourth thing is, guys, we're going to live a life on purpose. We need to see the significance of my life. Okay? And we, we talked about that Paul historically is seen as kind of the linchpin of Christianity. A lot of people believe, a lot of historians believe that Christianity would have fizzled away if it wasn't for the conversion of Paul, the man who once persecuted and killed Christians, became a believer. 
And we, guys, we have to understand that we have an influence in this world. We have an influence beginning with our children. If you have children and their descendants, we have an, but it goes far greater than that. And I spoke about the influence of foster parents from the 50s in Rockford, Illinois, and, and the influence they've had on my life. Even though I only met them a couple different times. They set, changed the direction of my father's life, which set the direction of my life. And so guys, we, you're going to live a life on purpose. You need to understand that what you do has significance or the potential for significance. And you decide what that's going to be or how it's going to be lived. Today we're going to continue on. We're going to talk about five more things from the life of the Apostle Paul about how I can live my, my life on purpose. And the first one is that I live my life on purpose when I modify my expectations and accept the difficulties. Who plans on life being hard? You know, who plans their vacation and says, okay, now wait, I need to be ready for the car to break down. Okay. What? I'm sorry. There's people that like that. Okay. Most of us, I don't. I mean, I've had, I've had to, I've had to really struggle with, uh, not living in a fantasy land. You know, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a businessman. And when you plan business, you may know it's going to be challenging at times, but you're going to run in. I've learned you're going to run into stuff you didn't want nothing to do with. You didn't plan on. Okay. Now we may recognize that hard times and difficult times are going to come, but do we literally just go, yeah, they're going to, you know, why do they take us by surprise? And by take us by surprise, you know, we get disgusted, we get discouraged, we get despondent when they show up. And you see, guys, this is what we're talking about. When you look at the Apostle Paul, and I'll get to him in a little bit. Um, oh, boy, I got something here on notes I want to say. Oh. Guys, you can tell if you do or don't respond to life. You can tell if you do or you don't expect them by how you respond to life's difficulties. You know, sometimes oh, you get frustrated, angry, discouraged, or depressed. Your answer is no, I don't expect them. I don't plan on hard times. What if you're challenged, strengthened, and capable? Then yeah, you're, you, you understand this is part of the territory. Okay? Um, I was reading a book this week. I found an old book that I'd read years ago and I pulled it out. It's a, by a gentleman who survived uh, the Holocaust. His name is Viktor Frankl. He was in uh, Auschwitz, which is the, the most notorious of the uh, uh, prison uh, camps, yes, uh, for the Jewish people. Um, and he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in this book, he referenced a Yale study, and I meant to bring the book and to read it, but it was a study done in, in, at Yale University uh, where they, they did a study on prisoners of war during the Vietnam era. And they found a very interesting fact that though those who had went through it had survived horrendous torture, those who survived for the most part, the majority of them, came out of that and looked at that as a growth experience. And it's like, what? I had to go read. That quote alone drove me to go read books on Vietnam era prisoners of war. Because it's just so fascinating. Guys, let's look at this passage here in Genesis chapter 3. This is a passage probably a lot of you are familiar with. 
And I've read up here before, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. What's going on here in this verse we're reading? This is after Adam and Eve have sinned. They've ate the fruit they're not supposed to eat. God has showed up in the garden. They're hiding because they're naked. And then they tell him what happened. And he is giving the man, the woman, and the serpent each uh, the, the curse. The, the, the consequence. He's telling them the consequences for their action. And this is what he has to tell the man. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it. All the days of your lives. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. See guys, what he's saying is... I I tell the middle schoolers when I talk about this. that I look at Genesis chapter 3 and I I summarize it this way. Life's hard and then you die. And they're like, oh, that's negative. No, no, that's reality. You read it. You go back and you... Challenge me if you think different if you read it. But that's what he's saying. These difficulties, what he tells, what's he tells the woman? Through great pain, you're gonna bring children forth into this world. He says, I'm going to greatly increase your pains in childbirth. I'm gonna make your relationship with your husband difficult. Hard things are gonna happen. See guys, Paul knew this and he accepted it. There's a verse reference there, and I'm going to read you more of that. We didn't have space to put this all in your notes, so that's just for your reference. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is talking about his ministry, and he's actually defending his ministry. He's received some some criticism from the Corinthian church, or even those who go, he's not really an apostle. You know, he wasn't really there with Jesus. He just saw him. Jesus just appeared to him after. You know, he's not really there. And so Paul's telling you, let me tell you about my ministry. And this is what he says, beginning in verse 16. He says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we are too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. And he goes on, guys. This is what we're getting to. He says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have often known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. 
besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches who is weak and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn. If I boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under the under King Eratos had the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Guys, when you look at all that and you see Paul, Paul understood, he accepted, expected hardship to be a part of representing Jesus. Now, I'm not promising that list to anybody in this room. (laughs) Okay? Paul's saying, I went through more than anybody else. But guys, isn't it interesting that none of that stopped him? And I believe that was because he had an expectation of things being difficult. That last little bit that I read where he talked about being lowered from the wall in Damascus, that happened immediately after he was baptized. He immediately started teaching the Jewish people about Jesus and and being a witness for Jesus. And they tried to kill him for it. Hardships are just difficulties are just part of the territory. You see, guys, Paul knew that his hardships revealed his weakness. And his weaknesses forced him to rely on what God could do instead of relying upon his human ability and strength. And Paul saw those as opportunities for God to work. See, guys, I don't know what you're going through right now. I know right now there are, I know everyone in this room has something in their life that they wish would go away. That they wish wasn't the way it was. Whether it's a physical situation, okay, we're getting older. Whether it's a work situation. Whether it's a financial situation. Whether it's a relational circumstance. We are, every one of us here has something they wish we could, we wish we could snap our fingers and it'd be gone. And the truth of the matter is it's hard for us. And we need to recognize, guys, I've said this before, it's the best illustration I got when it comes to to difficult times. Okay, I don't recommend seeing this movie. Okay, I'm confessing and repenting that I saw it as a teenager. Okay, it's from the movie Animal House. Okay, and it's where they're spanking the, the, the pledges at the frat house with the paddle, and they responded with, Thank you, sir. May I please have another? That was the appropriate response. Guys, that's literally, if you you have hard times and you see God's power work, shouldn't that be our response? We should expect hard times because that's when God works. That's when we're able to see him work. And guys, quite honestly, that's how we grow. That's how we grow. Um, Go on. Number six. I'll live my life on purpose when I walk through doors God opens and away from doors He closes. Let me read this passage to you in Acts chapter 16. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, 
having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of the Lord would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Guys, I was very, very tempted to call this point, instead of going through this open doors and closed doors, I, I was tempted to call it simply seeking and accepting God's advice or God's guidance. Guys, I have no doubt that some of us pray most of the time. But which are you more likely to ask God for? Guidance or permission? Guidance or blessing? You see, guys, the truth of the matter is that God really is concerned with the decisions we make and the direction that our life goes. The same way he was concerned about Paul's missionary trips, and he goes, I don't go there. Spirit tells you, don't go into that country. They don't go. Comes over here, it says they tried to go into a country, and says the Spirit prevented them from. I don't know the particulars of how the Spirit prevented them from going across the border into that country, but they went somewhere else. Then he has a vision, says this is what we're supposed to do. They were looking for open doors and closed doors. And guys, how many times do we, we pray about something and we say, God, make it happen. God, this is what I want. And we know this is what you want too. Right? This is, this is what you want too. Have you ever prayed something that said, God, show us very plainly a closed door or an open door. And then he slams the door shut. Guys, right now, just a very simple thing that you could be praying about, and I hope you do, is who can you share your faith with this week? Ask God to show you. I guarantee you an opportunity will pop in front of you that is just like, bam! There's somebody going, you know anything about baptism? Do you know anything about Jesus? And it's your opportunity. I don't know how that will work for you, but guys, I want to encourage you to do it. Um, you see, guys, the, the truth is, a lot of times I'm looking for God just to rubber stamp my plans. I've already decided this is what I'm going to do, and God, I want you to make it happen. And the truth of the matter is, if you show me a closed door, I'm likely to walk through it anyway. I'm told years ago about an individual when we were sending a group out to plant a church and they were going through interviews of prospective members of the team to go on the plant. And they were all asked the question, how will you respond if you're not chosen to be on the team? And one of the individuals, I still remember this, said, I'll probably go anyway. I'll probably do it anyway. You can't stop me from moving and guys, that's just the truth. We want God to rubber stamp it. And he closes the door and we go, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. Now we're going to be talking a little bit more about this in a couple of weeks when 
Uh, I'm talking about connecting with God because, guys, this is a big deal. I mean, I don't know about how many of you, when you read through that, you, you asked the question, how did the Holy Spirit prevent them from going into that country? How did the Spirit show them not to go over here? And, guys, that's a, that's a part of a much longer discussion. Okay, and it begins with just a commitment to say, I want God's guidance. I want His input in my life. I want to be able to recognize open and closed doors. Not just look for what I want. Not just asking God to rubber stamp it. Guys, let me read just a, a few more passages here. Uh, again, that we didn't have room for in the notes. First one's in Romans chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, God, whom I serve in my spirit is in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers all at all times and I pray that now at last by God's will that by God's will the way may be opened for me to come to you what Paul's saying he goes he's telling the Romans he goes I want to be there he never met the Roman church. He's saying, I want to be there. I don't want to just send you a letter. It's my desire that God opens the door for me to come to see you. But he's not going to go until God opens that door. Now, did God did open that door. Do you know that? Yeah. Paul, as a prisoner, got sent to Rome. As a prisoner. Going on, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, he goes, But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. He's looking for open doors. Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 and 3. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. You see, guys, Paul was asking God, and then he was willing to submit to God's answer. He wasn't just asking him to rubber stamp it or to give him what he wanted. He's saying, God, if you open the door, I'm going. I want an open door. I'm asking for an open door. but The door's closed. I'm not going through. And, guys, that is the challenge. Now, just, guys, in a, uh, and really what this gets down to, I, you ask the question, and I am going to be talking about more more about this in a couple of weeks when we talk about connecting with God. But guys, how does how does he recognize this? Guys, Paul had a very intimate communion with God. Okay, and that's some of what we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks. I was just uh, listening to this week, or last anyway, recently a podcast, and uh, the, uh, the uh, a preacher by the name of Tim Keller. Uh, was being interviewed. He's an author. Some of you may be familiar with some of his works. Uh, he planted a church out in New York City years ago. It became a mega church. Big deal. And um, he's being interviewed. And they're talking about another uh, mega church movement leader who had fallen. Okay? Who was abusive and controlling. And, and this whole podcast is about that, by the way. And he's... Um, He's asking him what they're talking about, uh, this, this other man. And he's, he's, he's saying the pro, he's, he's, he's talking about why these problems started. And he's talking about how this guy had no accountability in his life. And this is why things fell apart. 
And he's talking about how we, how we need an accountability setup where we have to answer to others who are able to question us. But he says, guys, ultimately at the end of the day, the only accountability that really works is accountability with God. And he says, what has to happen is he goes, I don't, he goes, I read my Bible and I pray every day and I know there's a lot of people who do, but the question is, are they, do they have real communion with God? Are they really looking for and listening for and have learned how to hear from God? And guys, so I, I just want to throw that out there. Like I said, I'll be talking more about that in a couple of weeks because that's, that's a question. How do you do it? But my question, I just want to leave you with, you know, are you willing? Are you willing to ask God for open doors and willing to not go around closed doors that he has? That's the question. Third thing, our seventh thing, number seven. I live my life on purpose when I reject the world's value system. Second Timothy chapter four, verses nine and ten. Paul is talking to Timothy. He is at the end of his life. He's, I believe, still in prison, still in chains. And he's alone and he's asking Timothy to come to him. And this is what he says. He says, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Because he loved this world. Interesting choice of words, isn't it? You know, how might you describe somebody? And I'm assuming here that Demas completely left the faith. I'm assuming that. Maybe not. Maybe he just decided, you know, hey, Paul, I've done this long enough. I need to go find a wife. I don't know. But Paul puts it, and the Holy Spirit is confirming Paul's judgment of this man's heart because it's recorded for us. That he loved, the reason he left Paul was because he loved this world. He, he told us the reason for Paul, for, for Demas' decision. Guys, it reminds me of what Jesus had to say to Peter in Matthew 16. And we've talked about this many times where Peter decides he's going to challenge what Jesus says, says he actually was rebuking him. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And he says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, guys, I think this is, this is a challenge. I believe especially in today's world, I don't know if it was, was easier to do in the 1800s or the 1500s. But guys, the concerns of this world... I, are constantly battling at us. And one of them is, what are we going to look like? What will I look like if I stand up for what God says? And how do I stand up for what God says? You see, guys, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are in constant, we are called to be in a, a, in constant contrast to the value system of this world. We are to value things that the world looks at and goes, what? And we are to operate in a way that the world says, what? 
How, what, what are you talking about? My wife and I were having a discussion with, I don't remember who it was the other night. And uh, we were talking about, you know, we're, I'm 59. Susan is, she'll be 58 in October. And uh, we're staring at retirement. And uh, we're dealing with the passing of our parents right now. So we have inheritance issues. And uh, we're always, you know, you plan for that. I mean, there's a proverb in the Bible that says a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children's children. Okay? And it's like, okay, how do we plan for this? How do we plan for what, as we are receiving from our parents, how do we plan for what our children receive? I like to uh, quote a wise philosopher of our day, Shaquille O'Neal. And I've seen multiple articles where he has told his children, I'm not, you're not rich, I'm rich. This is my money. You gotta go make your own money. And guys, I, I have a desire for Susan and I not to, not to hand off our kids a bunch of wealth. I have a desire. Now, we're in a little bit different situation. We're self-employed. Our business creates an income. That will be our retirement is the income from this business. And they will, you know, it's just a thought. I'm not there yet. I haven't, I was throwing it out there as a possibility. And you can tell me how crazy I sound, okay? But my idea is that of the income we receive between now and when we did, that I, but we die with none of it. We die just having an income coming in from the businesses. The kids get the businesses and they can have that income in the future. But the rest of our money is used to help people. Okay, I'm 59. I'm two years. I gotta decide. Three, I have three years to decide if I want to take my social security at the age of 62. Okay? Do I want it at the age of 62? I want it at the age of 62. You know why? You know what my plans are? For my social security? Okay? My plans are not to live on it. I've never planned on living on social security, by the way. <laughs> In fact, I've taken great lengths to put in as little as possible to it because they don't like the system and I didn't plan on living off of it. And so now it looks like we won't need it. So I'm looking at it as, okay, this will be a, how can I help other people? Who, how can I give my social security to other people to help them live? That, does that sound crazy? Is that different than the value system of our world? No financial planner told me that. Guys, that's, that's what we're looking at. Guys, it's totally different. I'm sure there will come a time where we will travel more. But we're looking forward to helping people. Susan has already started referring to herself as a part-time philanthropist. Okay? Guys, how are you choosing to reject the value system of the world? How are you choosing to do that? Because, guys, that's what we're called to do. Which does your life show? Which do your thoughts show? You love the world more or you love the kingdom of God? Eight things I want to talk about. That I'll live my life on purpose when I have joy independent of my circumstances. Now, this is really combined with kind of the other point about expecting hard times. But I have joy independent of my circumstances. 
Let's read this passage in Philippians chapter 4. It says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. As I said earlier, guys, this really goes with uh, the point I talked about up above about expecting difficult times and not being surprised when they show up. But Paul takes it to a whole new level. Because when it comes to difficult times, the best word to describe me, the most positive word to describe my approach towards hard times is I endure them. Right? I'm not excited about them. And I can't say that I'm joyful when I'm in them. Now, Paul is talking about this. He says, I've learned the secret of being content no matter what the circumstances. Guys, we read earlier all the difficult things he's went through. And I believe that was part of him learning the secret to be content in any situation. Guys, Paul's excited and joyful about any opportunity to live faithfully to Jesus no matter what the circumstances were. I'm not quite there yet. I'm not quite there. See, guys, to live his life on purpose by fulfilling the purpose of Jesus regardless of the circumstances, that's where joy comes from. Joy does not come from what's going on around me. Or the ease or the difficulty of life. Or the lack of difficulty of life. Joy comes from knowing you're living your life for the purpose of Jesus Christ. That's what joy is all about. Guys, this this quote, it's interesting. It follows a more famous quote. From a few verses before, some of you are probably familiar with it. You probably, if I asked you to raise your hand, you could quote it. But earlier in this chapter, he says those famous words of rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. How many times have you said that with gritted teeth? I'm rejoicing in the Lord always. Does it make a difference to understand that Paul's writing this from prison? When he's telling us to rejoice in the Lord always. And he's learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstances. See guys, we need to learn to focus on our faithfulness in my circumstances. And thank God for the opportunities he's presented me with. Last thing. We want to talk about here is I'll live my life on purpose. When I remember Jesus' promises. Remember Jesus' promises. Guys, let's look at these three passages, and I have just a few words to say on them, and then we'll go. Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, it says, They were looking intently. This is after, this is as Jesus went up into the, went up, ascended into heaven, and the apostles are standing around there. It says, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? 
This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Guys, Jesus is coming back. Amen. It is something to be excited about. I can't tell you when. All I know is apparently he's going to come from the same way he went, which is mean if you're going to be looking for him, you need to be looking up. He's coming back. Let's read a little bit more about this here in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, so for, since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And guys, in a nutshell, what is he, what's going on there? He says, not only is Jesus coming back, but things are going to be different. And primarily what he's talking about, all the enemies of God will be destroyed. And the, and the proof of that is death. Our own resurrection at that moment is the last thing to be destroyed. And basically, I'm summarizing, I know that we could talk about this for for days or or weeks or months. But Jesus said, when I come back, we know from other passages, things are going to be different. Number one, you're going to be brought back from the dead with a new body. That doesn't fall apart. And lasts Forever. That is exciting. And there will be no sickness. There will be no disease. There will be no evil. There will be complete justice, real justice in the world. Guys, that is that is completely exciting. Things are going to be different. The last thing about his promises, look at this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. Guys, not only do the promise that Jesus is coming back and that things are going to be different, He promises the rewards for those who are faithful to Him now. Guys, it is just so cool. Years ago, I did a thing here uh, where I put about a three-inch piece of yarn on every chair. Okay, and I asked everybody to pick that up. And I told them that piece of yarn represents the length of your life. Okay, that's the length of your life. And then all during the sermon, I had a young man walking around the perimeter of the auditorium, unrolling hundreds of yards of yarn. 
And guys, the whole point was just an illustration that says, your life is this long. And this is eternity. It goes on and on and on and on and on. I bring that up. Because sometimes we get forget the fact that our life is short. And these promises are really like, that's a long way off. I need to be concerned about what's going on with me now. And I need to take care of myself now. I can't be busy living my life for the purposes of Jesus. Guys, our lives are this long. And eternity, we cannot even conceive of it. And so guys, we need to remember these rewards. We need to know, no matter how difficult things are, or how challenging the opportunities that Jesus gives us to do His work, how much they challenge us, it's not going to last forever. And there's a huge payoff at the end. Guys, I don't know where you're at. I hope as we've looked at the life of Paul over the last two weeks, you can look and you said, I want to live my life for a purpose. And specifically for the purposes of Jesus. To live as a representative of His. To show the world what citizenship in the kingdom of God really looks like. And guys, I think we've looked at several things. The Apostle Paul is an incredible example. I kind of wish he wasn't so good of an example. Because I wouldn't be challenged so much. But guys, I just want to close out by asking you, if you can identify one area. We've talked about nine. But just one area where you go, man, I I can do this one. And to start with that one, whatever it is, and watch what Jesus is able to do through you. Let's pray. Father, the Apostle Paul was an incredible man. And Father, I thank you for his example. I only joke about him not being such a good example. To me, I know he's a man and he and he sinned and he, he wasn't perfect, but Father, he seems like the perfect example to me. Father, he's done so many things that I did not. Father, I can look at my feeble efforts to represent you in this life of mine, especially as an adult where I thought I knew answers and I was just wrong. And Father, I look at all the challenges that are ahead of me. Father, I know myself. I know my heart. I know my rebellion. And Father, I acknowledge it. And Father, I know that the circumstances you put me in are opportunities for me to, instead of rebel, to submit. Father, I pray right now that Greater Alton Church can be known as a place where people have a purpose. And that purpose is very clear to represent Jesus and his desires in this world. Father, open our hearts to what that means for each of us individually. And Father, help us to make start making decisions based off what you show us. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen.